Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals, I'm Josephine. I'm Nicholas. And I stole that intro from Thomas Sanders, former Vine star turned YouTuber. <laughs> um, and this is that scary as fuck. How are you today, pretty lady? I am doing okay. I This is everybody's reminder that you need to eat today because I have not yet. So I promise not to be hangry. If that you is all that you get. If you weren't so fucking cute and I weren't so fucking comfortable, I'd stop this and make you eat right now. But we got things we got to do and Hemi's being quiet. So, exactly. and she is here with us, guys. If you guys want to shoot in an email saying a hi, Hemi, or do whatever. Yes, she is currently falling asleep in what is normally my chair, but she is. But I wanted my other girl closer to me rather than Josephine. So. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a bunch of hate. It's fine. Um, but jokes and me liking Hemi more aside. What do you got for me today, Ms. Joe SFFNFFPine? I have the Colts Neck Massacre, Mansion Massacre. And I know this is like our fourth or fifth take, and I've asked this to you twice already. Yeah. But just in case people don't know, mm -hmm. is that Colt like baby horse or Colt like <laughs> dark robes and knives and murdery? Baby so. horse, baby horse. Okay. Yeah. Can horse. I make it an image in my head of a baby horse and a dark robe and a knife trying to kill me? I mean, I guess. It doesn't come up. It, it's a, a Colt's neighborhood. Colt? Colt's Colt? Sure. Colt's Colt. Okay. Colt Colt. Okay. Colt Colt. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> All, right. All right. What do you got? Oh, fuck. I guess I'm a part of this too, aren't I? Yeah. Oh. Um, I have two stories uh, pulling from Reddit again. Okay. Um, and yes, before anyone says anything, we have heard from a few people. I know you want more, what is it, classic, not classic, what is it, original, original stories. Yeah. Um, but I've been doing this thing called, what's it called? Oh, adulting. I don't have time. I'm trying. We are trying. Josephine is motivating me, and she's amazing and fantastic and perfect and lovely. And she's trying to get me back into it. That aside, I'm stealing from Reddit again this week. Our first story is called The Blackwood House by, oh, that's a cool name. It's by... This is what really freaking concerns me sometimes because you don't you didn't read it enough no, to I read didn't. their name. I've read the story, I just didn't read their name, but their name is such an amazing username. What is it? Killmonger. <laughs> That's awesome. And that is K-I-L-L-M-O-A-N-G-O-R. And my second story is by I believe it's Pantarium, P-A-N-T-E-R-I-U-M, and it's called The Tenet. Yes. Um, also, side note before we like get into things, I do want to remind people, especially the Reddit people and people that like, well, I guess people that email in will have already done this. But if you hear your story on here, feel, please feel free to email in and be like, hey, dude, that was my story. Loved how you did it. Or, hey, um, maybe don't stutter and trip over my story. Shut or, or even I'll give you my Reddit username and you can block me from using any of your stories in the future if you would prefer. <laughs> but no, jokes aside, we would love to hear from you. And if you have more stories or something you want to pitch us, if I've read something you've written before, it is probably right up my alley. So we can, we can definitely talk about that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Sorry. Go first. I'm going first. Yeah. Sorry, I got rambling again, didn't no, I? No, you didn't. All right. You're just doing all the things that I don't do. I've literally started a list of what to say in the intro of the podcast, and um, 
I don't have it with me. So I'm glad that you did all of the things that I was meaning to do. Um, oh, well, if we're doing all the things, we are going to be working on setting up social media. Uh, that should be coming within the next two weeks. It's already set up. Most of it's already set up. By set up, I mean active, not just set up. Okay, well, I've posted on Twitter. Hey, the tweeter! Yeah. Posted on the Snapchats. Yes. And we're getting distracted. I'm getting distracted again. You are beautiful, amazing, and perfect. I'm distracted. <coughs> All right. Storytelling voice. We are going to take a little old trip to the Blackwood house. Can I do one side note yeah. before I get this started? When I first read it, I read it as the Backwood House. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, dude. Blackwoods. Let's do it. <laughs> but it's Blackwoods, not Backwoods. Not the fun things. Uh, okay, so I'm going to call you out on it. You know you did not do a country accent, right? You... I wasn't trying to do a country accent. Okay. That just... I was trying to do a stoner accent. Okay. Like the surfer stoner. Okay, that's what it, that's you want what came do, off. You want me to do a country action? I tell that's you, what but, I think of you, when you say backwoods. I was thinking backwoods like the the the, 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 oh. the, the, the thingy. You know what I'm saying? Do 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 the damn thing. That's right there. No, no, man. And talking about backwoods that I'm not allowed in. I'm saying. Yes. All right. All right. Oh, I'm going for this. Yeah. Hello, this is Brish. <laughs> that you were making fun of. I'll just wait. <laughs> oh, yeah, you betcha there. Nope, nope, not that one either. All right. All right, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Let, me... <laughs> Let me get serious again. God damn it, I went on a rant. Killmonger, I'm so sorry if you're listening. We got this. Alright. Storytelling voice. The Blackwood House by Killmonger. Still love that username. In the quiet, sleepy town of Hawthorne, there stood an old, abandoned mansion that had long been shrouded in mystery. Locals whispered stories about its haunted halls and the tragedies that had befallen those who dared to enter. The mansion was known as Blackwood House, a name that sent shivers down the spine of anyone who heard it. Now, I had always been drawn to the mysteries of the unexplained and Blackwood House, or of the unexplained, and Blackwood House was the ultimate enigma in our little town. As a teenager, I spent countless hours researching its history and gathering tales from those brave enough to share their encounters. One fateful summer, my curiosity reached its peak. I couldn't resist the allure of Blackwood House any longer. Armed with a flashlight, a digital recorder, and my own apprehension, I decided to venture inside. The moon hung low in the night sky, casting eerie shadows across the overgrown lawn as I approached the mansion. The air grew colder with each step, and the silence was deafening. The door creaked open as I gently pushed it, revealing the grand but dilapidated interior. Moonlight filtered through the broken windows, illuminating dust moat. Dust, I believe that's supposed to be mites, but it's spelled M-O-T-S, so okay. I'm going to say mites just in case. <clears throat> illuminating dust mites suspended in the air. I cautiously ascended the decaying staircase, my heart pounding in my chest. The stories of restless spirits and malevolent entities flooded my mind. Every creak, every gust of wind sent a shiver down my spine, yet I pressed on determined to uncover the truth. 
In a room at the end of the at the end of a long corridor, I discovered an old diary. The pages were yellow with age and the ink had faded, but I could still decipher the words of the woman who had once lived here. Her entries spoke of loneliness, loss, and despair. The tragic tale of her life unfolded before me. I felt an overwhelming sense of empathy for the woman who had suffered within these walls. As I continued to explore, I heard faint whispers and the echo of footsteps that weren't my own. Panic set in, and I realized I might not be alone in the Blackwood house. I hurried to leave, but the door slammed shut before me, trapping me inside. I could feel a presence, a sorrowful energy that enveloped me. The very air seemed to thicken with the weight of the past. Then, a soft voice spoke, not in words, but in emotions. A plea for understanding, for someone to listen to the story of the Blackwood House. In that moment, I understood that the mansion had held, held not malevolence, but the lingering echoes of countless lives, each with its own story of tragedy and loss. The spirits sought only to share their pain and have their stories heard and acknowledged. Over time, I returned to the Blackwood House, not as an intruder, but as a willing listener. I transcribed the voices of the past and shared their stories with the world. The town's perception of the mansion slowly shifted from fear to empathy, and the spirits found peace through my efforts. Blackwood, Blackwood House, once a place of dread, became a sanctuary where the stories of the forgotten found a voice. It taught me that even the darkest mysteries could be illuminated with understanding and compassion and a willingness to listen. And in doing so, I found a connection with the past that filled me both with sadness and hope. As the months passed, my relationship with the Blackwood House deepened. I've returned frequently, almost feeling like a guardian of sorts. Once uh, the once eerie, unsettling mansion now felt like an old friend, its secrets gradually unraveling before me. I continued to document the voices of the past, transcribing the stories of heartbreak, love, and tragedy. Each room in the mansion seemed to have a tale to tell, and the spirits within eagerly shared their experiences with me. One partic particularly... Uh, uh, oh my god, sorry. One particularly strong story was that of a young artist who had lived in the mansion during the early 1900s. Her paintings, still displayed on the decaying walls, uh, depicted vivid scenes of her life and emotions. The diary entry she left behind revealed her struggles and her dreams of recognition as an artist. Her spirit lingered in the studio, forever yearning to see her work appreciated. Over time, the town's perception of Blackwood House Okay, sorry. It started the same as another paragraph. Over the time, the town's perception of Blackwood House began to shift. It was no longer seen as a place of uh, malice, but as a uh, excuse me, as a repository of human history and experiences. Locals started visiting to learn about the mansion's past, and they too heard the whispers of the spirits and felt their presence. I began hosting tours, sharing stories. Uh, sharing the stories that I had collected and the funds generated were used as a restoration and preservation of the Blackwood House. As the mansion gradual, was gradually brought back to its former glory, the, spirit, the spirits seemed to find solace in their home's excuse me, in their home's restoration. The town's connection with Blackwood House deepened, fur, uh, deepened further as we organized an art ex an art exhibit. Oh my gosh, I am stuttering today. 
an art exhibit featuring the works of local artists. Inspired by the stories of the mansion, the young artist's paintings took center stage, and her long-forgotten dream was realized as her art was finally celebrated. As the... As the exhibit's opening night approached, I could feel the anticipation in the air. The mansion, once silent, now buzzed with energy that was both eerie and exhilarating. On the night of the event, a soft breeze flowed through the open window, carrying carrying with it a sense of gratitude from the spirits who had a voice. Visitors marveled at the beauty of Blackwood House and the stories it held within its walls. It was a night of celebration, not only for the artists, but for the spirits who had longed for the recognition. In the end, Blackwood House transformed from a place of fear into a beacon of history and artistry. It had taught me the power of empathy, understanding, and the importance of listening to the stories of the past. The spirits had found peace, and I had found a sense of purpose in preserving their legacy. And so, the haunting tales of Blackwood House continued not as whispers of fear but as echoes of lives lived in stories told a testament to the enduring power of compassion and connection the end nice see and that's part of the reason i picked that one because it was such a 180 like all these stories it's terrifying you're running out you're screaming you're being abducted by something but this one was like hey i just sat down and listened they was cool as hell so i just want to do something a little different this time good i like the change up awesome yeah so when i was first reading through it because i get accused of not reading stories sometimes yeah (laughs) do you want me to pull up the episodes no okay um but no jokes aside uh it did it did really catch my eye and i did give joe a line teaser before we started recording to see if it'd be something she was interested in and she said yeah so thoughts concerns Oh, Good. I'm gonna fuck him. <laughs> Your turn, Daddy. Okay. I'm gonna just turn this over here real quick. Okay. My name is Joseph Fanafrapin, <laughs> and I am here to tell stories. Well, he's not wrong about that. Alright. Tell me about the Colts Colt. Well, it's actually the Colts Neck Mansion Massacre. Yes, the Colts Colts Neck Mansion Massacre got you. Yes. Yes, yes. So, November 20th, 2018. God, that's so long ago. Five years. People living in that year didn't even know there was a pandemic coming. That is true. <laughs> so, um, November 20th, 2018, around 1230 noon... I always get it messed up when they do like 12.30 p.m. And I think it's midnight, but it's not. It's always noon. So. I, always, I always call it noon 30. That's normally what I do. I'm like midnight 30, noon 30. Mm. But uh, somebody called the emergency services. Firefighters were first on the scene and discovered the body of a man on the front lawn. The house was engulfed in flames. Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, but when you said a body on the front lawn in a house engulfed in flames, all I can picture is the police pulling up and be like, well, that's not supposed to be out here. Just throwing it into the fire. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. 
Okay, I'm done. You're okay. <laughs> to be fair, that time you acknowledged me. I was just gonna let you keep going after my little chuckle. Boris, I'm gonna mess up this last name, but it's okay. Volstein. Volstein. Boris Volstein. A friend of the family went over to check on the family after one of his landscapers called him about smelling smoke coming from the home. Boris found Keith outside and called 911. Quote, my God, there's blood here. It's a corpse. So this is what we know. Keith, 50 years old, was found on the front lawn with five gunshot wounds, four of which were in his head. Jennifer, his wife, was 45 found shot and stabbed on the stairs coming up from the basement. The children, Jesse, who was 11, was in the kitchen, stabbed multiple times. And Sophia, who was 8, was on the landing of the stairs leading up to the second floor, stabbed multiple times, but autopsy showed that she was unfortunately still alive as the fire consumed the home. Quote, because the fire that caused the victim's smoke-related injuries was first reported at 12.38 p.m. or noon. More than nine hours after the gunshots were heard, the crime scene evidence establishes that Sophia survived her parents, albeit with multiple stab wounds for the in an unimaginable period of time. Did you say the amount she got? Or just the first kid? Uh, it just said that they were stabbed multiple times. Okay. Okay, sorry, yeah. I was I was making notes to bring up later. I didn't mean to No, you're interrupt. good. Yeah, okay. it just said that they were stabbed multiple times. Okay, continue. Um, but they didn't say... So they think that Jesse died of his wounds. Uh-huh. But Sophia did not. That's the point that they're making. So Sophia's here. still alive. No. She, she dies died. later. Later. Yes. Okay. Later, as the fire consumed the house. I know you'll probably get to it, but really all I was writing right now is it's so weird to me that, like... Because normally it feels reversed, like... If you're going to kill the kids, you do it quick, like with a gun, and then the yeah. parents, it's personal with a knife. Yeah. So that's all I had written down. That's why I was just trying to get things straight, and I figure you might answer that later. I don't go over it later, but it is said that they think that um, the person that killed the family, they think that they killed Keith first, and then they went in, killed Jennifer, and then the kids. So he ran out of gun. Like, he ran out of ammo with the parents. Because he shot the dad five times. And then he shot the mom a few more times and just ran out of ammo. Did they give it a number? No. I was going to say, because if it was a standard Glock, a standard Glock holds 15 shots. It was a 9mm That's something. a type, not a manufacturer. I know. We'll talk about it later. Sorry, it's gun nerd coming out. Okay, so... If you're going to kill someone, you're not going to get an extendo to get everyone... Anyways, uh, but demonstrably long enough to experience breathing difficulty and the onset of high-degree stress, according to court documents. Sophia was the only family member to sustain radiant thermal burns, searing of the hair and eyebrows, and to display soot on the tongue and on the mucosa, which is the mucous membrane of the upper airway, which is like... So she'd have to breathe it in. Okay, exactly. I, I she got what you say. But then it was mentioned that Jesse enjoyed history and discussing current events, while also liking technology and learning about the inner workings of everyday devices. Sophia loved the arts, uh, ice skating, gymnastics, and taking ninja classes. 
first off, those all sound like sports, not arts. Put some respect on their names. I know, I'm just... She also liked the arts. No, I'm just giving shit. Also, goddamn, dude. Yeah. Uh, my, my theory, as of right now in your story, mm-hmm. whoever started that fire in the bowling alley on one of our first episodes is the person that started this fire. It's not, because we find out who does this one. Okay, so we found out who did the bowling alley one, too. Fantastic. I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> so, where the f- murder took place was 15 Willowbrook Road, a million-dollar, 10-acre mansion, and it was the home of the Canero family. Colts Neck was a, is a wealthy township in New Jersey, about an hour away from New York City, and was known as a great family community. No one in town could have guessed a thing like this would happen. Uh, huge media coverage was given to it because mm-hmm. it was an area where a lot of other celebrities lived. Like, I think one of them was Oprah or some shit. Never heard of her. I'm dead. <laughs> Um, but this is not the first time that the police had been called to the area that day. Keith's older brother, Paul, lived in the area with his wife and two daughters. Keith and Paul ran a few businesses together, one of which was Square One Incorporated, for which Keith owned 90% and Paul owned 10%, but they both worked there. Um, at about 5 a.m., authorities were called to Paul's house because it was on fire with him and his own family inside of it. Um, luckily, everybody made it out of the fire unharmed. Um, as arson investigators were looking around Paul's house, it appeared that the fire had started in two separate places in the house. It was determined by arson investigators that Paul used gasoline to light the fires. Evidence at the home included burner marks on the lunar Porsche, a ga- red gas can, a charred rubber glove found near the car, scorch marks on the garage door, and investigators found three gas cans Hemi. in the shed with a You're gap fine. in between them, which just showed that there should have been four there. You're fine. We have people walking by our window, so she's a little peeved. You good girl. I know. We appreciate you. You good girl. Okay. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just, if, if we had to cut because she barked, that's the only reason I was like, oh, Yeah, no, you're good. But, uh, so they determined that it was Paul that started his own fire at his house. The arson investigators determined that it was him. Okay. Right? Okay. I have questions, but I also am the type of person that wants to shut up and listen. That's fair. That's fair. I appreciate that. Um, when police found out that the family murders were most likely covered up by by the fire that was started in their house... Um, which looks like it was started in the basement and was meant to be a slow-burning fire to increase the temperature and intensity of it. They then took into consideration that Paul was, you know, sitting in a holding cell for arson of his own house, and they started to look a little more closely at Paul to see if he committed the murders. Okay. So in the next few days, they combed through his vehicles in his home, in the Porsche Cayenne, they found a bag with a laptop, Paul's passport, a 9mm barrel firearm, night vision accessories to the firearm, parts that were designed to sus- suppress the sound and or muzzle the flash of the gunfire. Uh, in Paul's basement were a fuck ton of guns, including ammo that matched the shell casings found around Keith's body. Okay, but I feel like there's a twist coming. 
Because you're not going to give me, like, this much information up front on someone that's guilty. No, this is just how stupid he is. Really? Yeah. Uh, canine team also found a plastic container where jeans and a latex glove that were stained with blood was. The blood was later matched to Sophia, which was, you know, his niece. Yeah. Hold on, I'm letting Hemi down. Hemi, bammy. Don't go begging and get back up here, though. True. <clears throat> okay. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, the blood was later matched to Sophia. They also sound the same Fiocchi. I don't know how to you say it. spell it? F-I-O-C-C-H-I. Fikoshi? Sure. Sounds Italian. Fikoshi. We're going to go Fikoshi. Hey, Fikoshi, forget about it. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but the 9mm shells that had GFL 10 9 X19 stamped on them, not only just around Keith's body, but also in Paul's basement. So it was the same exact ammo. Same serial number, same everything. Alright, we're gonna let you out of here. Okay. So, like... Okay. Yeah, so the same everything. It's basically the serial number on the ammo. And is it for sure him, or is like yes, there a it's chance for sure it could, him? Like, it would, wouldn't be his wife. No, or it was his dumbass. Yeah. It was his dumbass. So he was charged with four counts of first degree murder. Paul's attorneys, Rob Hone, Honecker Jr. and Mitchell J. Ansel, repeatedly said that their client maintained his innocence. They would go on to say, Paul's family means more to him than anything else in the world. The attorney said in the statement that the day Paul Canero was charged with murder, there was no absolute, there is absolutely no reason in the world for Paul Canero to have committed the crimes he is alleged to co- have committed. On the following Monday, though. Okay, but like, I want to give a quick counter, though. Yeah, what's up? So if they're like, well, his family means more to him than anything in the world. If you give half a fuck about your family but zero fucks about the world. Like, I guess technically they're right. True. So, anyways, continue. That's fair. But, so, we'll continue. On the following Monday, both attorneys decided to stop representing Paul due to conflicts of interest. Quote, We take this action regrettably and firmly believe that Paul J. Canero is entitled to his day in court. Honecker and Ansel said in the statement. So that's a fancy way of saying, like, this guy's a piece of shit. We don't want to represent him. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And Paul's family also wasn't present the day of the trial where Paul pleaded not guilty. Um, And I wasn't sure when this happened, but I think it was when he went to trial for murder. Okay. But there's a third brother, Corey. And Corey's wife called the police and told him that he drove his kids to Pennsylvania but still wanted to talk to the police and insisted that they come to him. Like, he wasn't going to risk his or his kids' life in order to come back for this. Uh-huh. But he still wanted to give them information about what was going on in the family. Yeah, for sure. So, if you had any any reason of why Paul 
got dropped by his lawyers, what what would you think it was? I mean, if I had to guess, based on other things I've heard from, like, different cases, mm-hmm. just an insufferable asshole that didn't want to take their advice? No, I mean, like, what do you think has come to light? <clears throat> oh, I didn't know that, like, there was evidence that came to light. To do. I thought you were saying, like, why would they drop him? I just assumed it's because he was a dick and wouldn't listen to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, if it's evidence, I'm going to say it's going to be something big. Like, a fucking piece of his hair at the crime scene, or, like, he left his whole ass shirt, or left a picture, or they found a picture of him on his phone, like, taking a selfie with the fire. That's what I'm gonna guess. So, you're not, you're not far off. So, Paul had turned off his own security cameras that were hardwired in the morning of the fires and the murders, and Square One Incorporation is a tech company, so he works in tech. So he knows what he's doing when he's turning off a camera. Which also means that when he claimed that his cameras were slowing down his Wi-Fi, everybody else would also know he's a lying piece of shit. Oh my lord. His wife goes on to say that she was surprised that he turned off the cameras because he had never done that before. Oh my god. Okay, but... Here's the best part. <laughs> okay. Well, not the best part, but we're getting good. A white Porsche leaves the home at 2.07 a.m. and was caught on camera from a different neighbor's house and returned at 4.08 a.m. An hour later, an hour after 2.07, two residents in Colts Neck awoke to hear what sounded like gunshots in the silence of the night. And... Then, you know, he comes home. Well, we tried. She opened the door. She did. <laughs> um, and then he comes home at 4.08. Oh, okay. Okay. Timmy, back away from the microphone, please. But, that's not all. Why do you think Paul killed his brother? Okay. Before I do that. Yes. I do want to give one counter to yes. his tech thing. Yeah. I can say from personal experience... Just because you work in the field doesn't mean you know about the field. That's fair. Um, but I would assume for control of the business or money is what I would assume. Mm-hmm. Ring-a-ding-ding. So. Paul was stealing money from not only his brother, but also their company. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, and here's my thing. If you're, like, a semi-successful business owner and stealing from the company and the co-owners, you're just greedy. Yeah. Make your shit, dude. Yep. So, Keith had talked about selling his shares of Square One Incorporated in order to move on to a better position at a larger company. Keith was a very self-motivated person. Everything that I researched was, like, he, you know, was very determined. He set goals for himself. He achieved those goals. And one of the things that he wanted to do was he wanted to have a position at a Forbes uh, 500 company. So he's the golden child, basically. Basically. Okay. Well, compared... Well, when the other one of the other fucking children is a murderer, it's not too hard to get in that competition. Exactly. It's really not. It's really not. So, um, Keith had talked about selling his shares, and then um, it had come to light that Paul had been stealing money in multiple ways from Keith, 
Paul had gotten into an accident, a real bad accident, and had medical bills that he was getting behind on. So he was stealing money from the business to pay for his medical bills. It's called defensive driving, Paul. Take the class. True. Uh, They charged Paul with theft of movable property, alleging that he stole roughly five, uh, not five, $75,000 from Keith and his family from January 2017 to the day before the murders. It is also said that he stole around ninety grand from trustee accounts for his niece and nephew. Jennifer's father was taking Paul to court for that now that Jennifer was gone. And Jennifer had previously told her older sister Bonnie about Paul's alleged thieving in April of 2018. Remember, the murders happened in November. Yeah. Paul had stopped paying on his own daughter's college tuition and Keith ended up paying for it. And that was around sixty grand. Okay, so let me get this straight, real quick. Yeah. <clears throat> so Keith got murdered. Yeah. Because he was self motivated and helping his struggling brother's daughter out, and his brother was and greedy. allowing his brother to continue to steal from him. Yep, yep, that checks out. That those are grounds to get murdered in my book. <laughs> yeah, Keith oh, had Jesus. forwarded an email the evening before the murders. Out to him and two other associates. The email said that they were going to be cutting Paul off because of some missing money in their accounts. Paul's salary was $225,000 a year. And he needed to steal? And he needed to steal. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah. Uh, Keith was telling... Like, in, in Paul's defense, though, not that he really needs to... Like, I'm playing devil's advocate. Keith was telling everybody else about Paul's fucking issues, but wasn't going to Paul about it. He was just like, oh, I'm gonna cut him off, but I'm not gonna tell him anything about it, from what people have said. Because Jennifer was telling her sister Bonnie about it, and Keith was telling their business partners about it, but who told Paul that, hey, motherfucker, we know you're stealing from us. Okay, but like, I get the business partners they need to know. Um, the sister, I get it, like the gossiping, but also that's like a thing if like the police are setting up a warrant, they're not going to call you and be like, Hey, we're setting up a warrant. Be ready. Like, so if he was going to fire him and cut him off, he wanted to do it before he got recognition because like, if he hears this is in motion while he still has access to accounts. Fair. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that one, I'm okay with that a little bit right there. I really am. Man, I don't know. But, um... The case was originally supposed to go to trial in 2021, and cho- uh, and it got pushed back because Paul was also charged for getting disability while working, which also carries a possible ten- sentence of 10 years in jail. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But there has been no update since 2022. So, I mean, I have kind of a final opinion on Paul. Yeah. Uh, not only is he fucking stupid, Greedy probably shit. one of the most selfish people I've heard of. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna not only steal from your brother, your business, but also your niece and nephew, my right. guy? Right. Like, here's my thing. I, ha- I have two little brothers. And, like, I, I kind of get, like, him letting the money thing slide for a bit. Because, like, if I thought my little brothers were, like, in financial crisis, I'd be like, all right, if you needed a few extra bucks, you could have asked. But if you got it, 
just take care of it, don't do it again. Right. But I I fucking both my brothers will be homeless and in the gutter before they steal from my child though. So that that I can't I don't get. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yep. But like I said, still no updates since last year. Wow. Well, since there's no updates, what do you think he deserves? Fucking. I want him to spend the rest of his life in jail. Yeah. I don't think... I have recently had... Well, okay. It's not completely like this. I believe in the death penalty at certain points for, like, very gruesome murderers and stuff. Um, but somebody like this that was just motivated by pure greed and... Yeah, make him suffer in poverty. Exactly. Make him fucking suffer. I think, yeah, for gruesome murders, sure, whatever, death penalty. And then I think there should be a hybrid death penalty for pedophiles. Oh, yeah. Throw them into gen pop. Leave, Leave them to rot. Oh, sorry. For those of you who don't know, Gen Pop is slang for general population, which is where most <laughs> most people in prisons and or jails spend their time. But yeah. I mean, yeah, no, fuck that, dude, dude. I just... I remember I got to cover this guy one time, but um, I don't even know his name, but he was already in jail and there was a pedophile that came in there and then he killed him and he got another charge for murder for killing the pedophile, but I was like, no. You realize how little that narrows it down? That happens so often. Well, still, there was a guy that was, like, known for it. Killing? Or yeah. killing pedophiles? Killing pedophiles. Oh. In jail. Um, side note about killing pedophiles. This'll make you mad. Did you know there was a father that went out and beat a guy with a hammer because he caught him masturbating in a, uh, while looking in his five-year-old daughter's window and he got charged for murder? I feel like that was just justice. I don't know. Let me catch someone masturbating looking in our kid's window. Exactly. But I, Maybe I, I wouldn't don't remember kill him, how... but I would definitely make him blind. Yeah, that makes one of us. Uh, I don't know how that case turned out, but that was like years ago. Anyway, that's wild. Is it my turn? It is your turn. Alrighty, um, Joseph F. Efren. Yes. Great as always. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> now. Into it. This next story is called The Tenet by Pantarium, or P-A-N-T-E-R-I-U-M, if you pronounce it differently. My name's Dale, and I own many properties, uh, most of which are for rent. I try my best to keep my tenants happy, comfortable, and within my places. Not to sound like a creep, but it always feels like I look after these people like they're my own kids, since I never had any of my own, or even a life partner for that matter. So I like to keep them happy, at times check in to make sure their needs are met. First off, amazing landlord. Literally. One particular time, on the end of every month I go to collect rent, and most of which is money transferred online and all that stuff. Because that makes things easier, honestly. Right. Usually, all would be accounted for. But this one tenant, who I knew liked his alone time, never paid up. I waited a few days to uh, give him time, since I thought he was just a little late. But those days went by, and nothing. A week later, and still nothing. Being a landlord, you have to make rough decisions at times. And that rough decision at times, and requires... That requires to be a... Requires you to be stern, which I hate doing because naturally I'm a genuinely nice person. And in this case, I thought I would have to put my foot down, but I waited till mid month 
and it was finally time for me to step in and pay a visit. When I arrived to the residence, I met one of my tenant. I met one of my tenants outside that was raking leaves. I asked about their fellow tenant, who was late on their rent, and they said he hadn't been around for a few months, which was weird, because I had, uh, because I had the previous month's rent, and how would that even be possible? Right. As dark and morbid as it can be, I thought I had one of those suicides in the room he had rented. Oops. It's common and a scary thing to go through. Discovering the body is something I've had to deal with maybe two or three times, or I have to deal with maybe two or three times a year. That makes me nervous to be a landlord. Yeah. When I went to not okay, side note, I did work for apartment complex. I did work for an apartment complex, and luckily I never had to see it. But apparently, that is something that's pretty common. There's a no complex names because it could be a whole thing. But the one you used to live at, did you know? Was I think. A year or two ago, there was a guy that killed himself in the field by the health club that was next to you? Yes, I think yeah. I did know that. Yeah. It was, uh, my friends that worked there were telling me about how they had to deal, they had to let his mom into his place to get his stuff. It was rough. Dang. Anyways. <clears throat> it, okay, back to it. When I went to knock on the door, I was met by, I was met by a pushing on the door, which indicated the window was open. The window pressure pushing against the wood, you know, with the air coming in. I waited a few minutes before entering the room. Uh, Oh my gosh, sorry. I waited a few minutes before entering the room. I had one of my good tenants with me since he was curious also. When walking in the room, we were hit in the face with with the strong, heavy smell of bleach. Immediately, I knew what was going on. The tenant occupying... Why did I say occupying? Accompanying me immediately shook his head, and even he knew what had happened. Not a good sign. As we walked around with a sort of investigative swag about us, we found the place nearly empty. And by nearly empty, I mean little to no furniture, one mattress in the living room, two bowls, one cup, no TV, no couch, a bag of laundry, and old dried food on the countertop. So, like, empty, empty. Yeah. When we... When we got to the back bathroom, I told my tenant to hold back a few steps behind me just in case we were about to find something that wasn't going to be pretty. I stood holding the bathroom door handle, slowly turning it, and the door opened with a gentle push. There in the bathtub laid the tenant, sunk into the bottom with his feet sticking out of the top. I looked around the bathroom and found a few, few empty bottles of embalming fluid, a couple dozen bleach bottles... That were li- and a couple dozen bleach bottles that were lined up against the wall. Oh, no. I sat on the toilet and took my phone out. Imme- I immediately called the prop or the authorities to handle this situation. It didn't take long for the police to arrive, along with a coroner van. Um, they did have to fish him out of the tub, which I'm sure wasn't easy. Right. Um. I- oh my god! Sorry. Which I'm sure wasn't easy, partially due to the fact that he had been in there for weeks at this point. Oh, shit. After a few hours of letting them do their work, they brought out the body in a white white plastic wrap, and since they had found... Oh, my God. Okay. I had misread this. I thought it was about to be way more gruesome than it was. Well, that's probably a good thing. They had found he had no kin, no family at all. I had to identify him or what was left of him. I thought it said if he had no skin. That's what I had read initially. I was about to be like, fuck! But no, it's just kin. Okay. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
when I when I approached the plastic where they had his remains, they opened the Velcro flap and showed me. I couldn't help but wince at the state at which he was at which he was. Surprisingly, this is the part that made me want to include it. Surprisingly, nearly intact and not rotted. What the fuck? His skin was white as snow, mouth wide open in the most hauntingly haunting manner. Eyes. Well, they did say embalming fluid. Yeah. Haunting manner, eyes glossed over, sunken in, hair bright blonde from the bleach. And, uh, and, uh, but other than that, it was without a doubt him. Okay, side note, part of the reason I'm stumbling so much, I love you whoever wrote the story, but I think they're ESL. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, grammatical and punctuation. That's why I'm stumbling so much. Yeah. Okay. After that whole or- ordeal in the sad in the sad turn of events, I had a cleaning crew who I've used before for this kind of situation. I was bothered by this one more than I should have been, so I had that room closed off and boarded up until I felt like it was right to rent out again. Mm-hmm. Which I respect that. Most landlords were like, oh, I feel weird, but fuck it. Yeah. A month after that situation, I had already moved. My or I had already moved on from my thoughts about it. I reopened the room and rented it to a nice young couple that needed a place ASAP. I thought, there couldn't be any harm in this. They knew what had happened and it didn't bother them one bit. <clears throat> nice and quiet, they were friendly uh, to the other tenants and worked good jobs. Just the kind of people I liked. As I was sitting at home after having a nice full dinner and a movie, I fell asleep on my armchair. That's where I did most of my sleeping at this point. I fell into a deep sleep and dreamed of entering the room. I could feel the cold door handle and the smell of bleach. Excuse me. I dreamed of opening that door once more, and when I entered, I saw the tenant sitting up in the bathtub with his mouth wide open and eyes closed. His head turns towards, turned towards me slowly as I tried to move from fear, but couldn't budge an inch. I had no choice but to stare at the tenant. He stared back at me, his eyes nearly closed and white face. I screamed as loud as I could while trying to move my body, and I quickly found myself back in my armchair, screaming from the dream, back in reality. The high anxiety and fear in my heart caused me to have a panic attack, which prompted me to turn all my lights on for the rest of the night. Fair. Don't blame you. Yep, fair. Fast forward. Okay. It has been two years since the incident. Ooh. At least twice a week, I have the same dream of that tenant. Fuck that. But what do I do? It seems like each time he's crawling further and further away from the bathtub to the point where I can still or where I can feel his still fingers squeezing my shoulders. I'm in therapy because of this dream. And the experience at times, it it has me questioning everything. I, I really do hope these dreams stop sooner rather than later. But until then, I take my medication and pretend like I don't hear the scratching at my bathroom door. The end. Thoughts on that? Say it. That's kind of scary. Well, I would say. Scary as fuck. I've been Nick slash Josephine. And I've been Josephine slash Nick. We love you guys. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.